Hey, friends, is there something in your life you had to unlearn in order to grow more? A lot of us have that experience. Our guest this week says he had to unlearn church hustle culture in order to find his place so he could serve the wider global church. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 327, Jonathan Carone and Unlearning and Relearning. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And uh, we're already laughing. I know it's going to be great. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful that you are. If you, uh, if when you enjoy this conversation, would you do me a favor? Just one thing. Would you go out and tell, tell a friend, tell somebody about this uh, episode and this show and let them know that hey, this is one that if you're not listening to halfway there, uh, you're missing out. You need to need to do that. We'd appreciate it. it. Helps out so much. And for those of you who can, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com as well. Hit that Patreon button. Uh, many of you already do that, and it helps so much. Helps us keep the show running very much. Friends, I'm excited about this conversation uh, because we have a friend who um, he has some really interesting podcasts. A couple of them. We'll talk about those. Uh, and honestly, he just asked some really great and insightful questions for a while. My TikTok was just responding to his talk TikTok because he had some great questions to to say, and it made me think. So I I appreciate that, and you know it. So our guest today, uh, he is the host of so I said those two shows, Unlearning Youth Group and Unlearning Church Staff. So that gives you an idea of kind of where he's coming from. But he also runs uh, Current Designs, which is a marketing and website des- uh, design company that helps churches, nonprofits, and ministries. I'm sure he'll tell us all about that as well. Our guest is Jonathan Carone. Jonathan, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for having me. I've been looking I'm forward excited. to this. Yeah, I'm excited to have, have you. And we've uh, kind of met, I don't know, in the last year or so. And and uh appreciate certainly your shows. And I loved when I hear uh, people using podcasting in creative ways to address what I think really is a formational issue, uh, which is kind of my my bent. So I think you're doing that really well. So give us that, that uh, kind of a deeper dive into who you are and where God has you right at the moment. So right now, I mean, the big thing is with work is the marketing web design business. I help businesses, churches, nonprofits, ministries, whoever it is, get their message out in a really noisy world and in a way that serves their audience as opposed to positions themselves as the best thing since sliced bread. Because <laughs> I, I, you've followed my stuff long enough, you know, like I'm really, I'm a huge proponent of serving other people. I think that as Christians, what we're supposed to do, and even in the business world, even in the church world, we are called to do that as well. So from a marketing standpoint, we don't do that very often. And I think by actually listening to what Jesus said, we can actually do better and make more of an impact. So that's where it is on the business front. On the podcast front, a couple years ago, a friend of mine said to me in a conversation, I hate that we're having to go to therapy to unlearn the things we learned in youth group. Oh, man. And that was the impetus of unlearning youth group. I was doing a different podcast at the time, and I thought maybe I'll do a season on youth group stuff. And I was like, nope, it's a whole show. So I (laughs) I canned the other show, and we're now six seasons into unlearning youth group and hearing people react and respond to things, uh, the things that I've had to go through and that I've had to unlearn and to, to learn there are other people out there who have been in the same shoes. And I, maybe I'm just a couple steps ahead of them. So I'm able to help them with what they're going through now is every week that we do a show and I get feedback on it. I'm, I'm blown away by the things that people say 
mm-hmm. that they're learning or that they're experiencing through our show. And it's just, it's when I left, when I left full-time vocational ministry, I didn't know what that would look like for me in the future. I know I'd be still be serving churches and ministries and those things, but I didn't know what like that one-on-one like impact of teaching from stage uh, to a bunch of students, where would I get that? What would I do? And it's been a really fun journey just to learn how that can be done through the internet with strangers. Yeah. I think you summed it up really well uh, in a couple of things. I think that this is what it's all about. One is finding a niche or a place where other people have thoughts, other people have experiences, but nobody's talking about it. Right. And so you're, you're shining some light on that and you're giving them a place to talk about it, which I think is really great. It's a universal, well, not a universal, but in uh, American evangelicalism, there's a common experience, right? Across, if you went to youth group in the 90s or the 80s or the 2000s, like that, you had an experience, right? So, uh, and then we have that. So you're, you're pulling that together and you're serving. And I think that's a really important uh, piece. I think some people want to podcast because they want to hear their own voice. And I think that's the wrong reason to podcast, but to serve an audience is the right reason. Um, so I love that. And I will say also, um, your show Unlearning Church Staff is has been really helpful to my wife, uh, who recently came off church staff in the last uh, year. And she we listened to a couple episodes on the way home from we we drive back from Iowa. So it's a 10 hours to Colorado. So it's uh it's a long trip, great time to listen to podcasts. And it was really just helpful to hear that other people had similar experiences, even if um we didn't, um, you know, they're not happy always, right? Sometimes right. they're, but, but sometimes they're, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't just me. Right. And so I think that's what you're, what you're offering to people. Yeah. I mean, so, so often we, we are so emotionally invested in what's going on in our own lives that we feel like we're the only person who has ever experienced it. Yeah. When in reality, while the situations are all different, the feelings are very similar across the board. And your experience in youth group or your experience on church staff or your experience in whatever is probably different than mine, but the feeling of disappointment, the feeling of abandonment, the feeling of your spiritual leaders letting you down, those are things that most of us have experienced in one way or another. So even though the exact details are different, we can all relate to them because at the end of the day, there are only so many emotions and we all have them in our own individual ways. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're common. And I think that's part of what brings us together in a community. So I want to talk about that some more, but what I really want to to do is hear some of your story because you didn't get here overnight. Right. So uh, you, you definitely uh, started somewhere. So where, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? So I am, I live in my hometown again. Uh, something I, I wasn't sure I ever wanted to do. And I'm still not sure I ever want to do, but I grew up in a small town in North Carolina, uh, that no one's ever heard of. And it is, um, it's an interesting place to grow up because even in rural small town, North Carolina, uh, I say the name of my town and people are like, Oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those towns. So yeah. that's, that's where I grew up. And then uh, my grandpa's a pastor. So I grew up in his church. I've been a Christian as long as I can remember, but somewhere around, 15 or so, I realized that church was too old people oriented and I stopped going. There wasn't anything in my hometown that felt like it had anything to do with me or my generation or the things I was facing. And I never, I never left following Jesus, 
but mm. the idea of church was just something that there was nothing within 30 minutes of me. I, I would, as a 16 year old, I drove a couple of towns over to check out churches a couple of times by myself, but that's just wow. not sustainable as a 16 year old. So I, I never got plugged in there. Uh, graduated, went to college, uh, bounced well, around. On. I want, hold on. I want to talk to, I want to talk about this for just All a right. second. So you're going, um, okay. So you're going to church, going to your grandpa's church. Now is this, so, I mean, you're talking about youth group. So the, what were your experiences in youth group? Like that made you go, eh, uh, you not have one? I barely had, I had a youth pastor for one year of my life growing up. So the rest was, the rest was volunteer led. Uh, we would, and Sunday school stuff. So we had Sunday school. We had, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. And anyone who was around church in the nineties will appreciate this. Our quote unquote youth group met on Friday nights. And it was really just like a quick Bible study. And we played basketball, but we called it Friday <laughs> yeah. night riot because yeah, right. of the carbon album. Uh, so, so, so that was our thing. Our Wednesday night, like midweek thing. I remember in middle school, we did like a month's long study of revelation. I'm like, why am I learning Perfect this middle in, in middle school? Yeah. So then I ended up eating up, eating up all the left behind books and oh, no. all that. And it's, so the funny thing is like, I ended up transferring to Liberty, which for those who don't know, Tim LaHaye, who wrote the left behind books, made so much money on those books. He built the student center and the hockey rink at Liberty university. So wow, that, that was part of, but the, here's the thing. I, we can get into the details of how I got to Liberty because that's interesting as well, but okay. I still had so much baggage with church that I attended the world's largest Christian university for two and a half years without ever stepping foot inside of a church. I went to, <laughs> wow. I went to campus church once or twice, but like I'm talking Sunday. I didn't go to church for a Sunday morning until the summer after I graduated college from the time okay. I was like 15 or 16 until after college, even while going to a Christian school where I'm surrounded by church and theological things every single day. Yeah. Okay. So take us on that journey from 15 when you're like, okay, there's nothing here for me. What is this about? to, um, you know, kind of after Liberty where you're going, okay, I'm, I think I'm going to go back. Like, what was that journey like? I spent my freshman year of college at community college at home. And then I went to coastal Carolina, which is in Myrtle beach, right outside of Myrtle beach. So I'm a, I'm an 18 year old kid living by myself in a house, nine miles from the beach. That's life, fantastic. Sh life should be amazing. <laughs> Right. And uh, I I moved down there in July by September, October. I realized I wasn't happy with it. I didn't fit in. Looking back, time and perspective, I never consulted God about where I was supposed to go. I just thought I want to live at the beach. I'm going to coastal. And I remember at some point, late September, early October, laying in my room. I hadn't been in church in four or five years at this point and just telling God how unhappy I was and sitting there on the couch in the dark, kind of praying, kind of whining, kind of doing all of that. And it was one of the first times I can remember hearing God's voice say to me, say something to me. And it was the idea of get the training you need. And I knew in that moment I was supposed to go to a Christian school. But at the time, I only knew of Lee and Johnson. And those are two schools I had no interest in whatsoever. A couple of weeks later, I was I, I was part of a club at Coastal that was a student fan club. So I traveled to almost every football game Coastal had that year. And 
in October, we were going to play the school I'd never heard of called Liberty. It was in Virginia and I was from North Carolina. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll go home on Friday, see my parents, go up to the game Saturday, come back home and then go back to the beach on Sunday. When I got to Liberty, they were terrible in football. There were barely any students there. And we hung out with their students during the game. And I'm like, for the first time ever, I was around people who felt like me. I still didn't know uh, Liberty was a Christian school at that point. It's yeah. just these these kids felt like me. Afterwards, I found out Liberty was a Christian school. It started to make sense. Did a visit, tra- ended up transferring, blah, 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 blah. So I'm still running from this idea of any type of ministry thing at all because of my grandpa, because of my baggage with church. And I I wanted nothing to do with it. So instead- yeah, again- I, I wanted to just ask you because your grandpa like was it wasn't that your grandpa was bad it was just that you were like my grandpa was one of my heroes. Perfect. But I just wanted to clarify. I, I was like, wait yeah, a minute. <laughs> okay. I but I saw the ugly side of church. For anyone who's yeah. ever been involved with ministry, there you go. Like I saw how they treated him. But at the yeah. same time, I had a time in high school where a kid I had looked up to who was four or five years older than me, he had left our church, and I asked my grandpa where he was going or why he left. And my grandpa said something along the lines of, well, he's looking for something he's never going to find here, or he's never going to find anywhere around here. And it was just that he wanted something more modern and more geared towards our generation and the things we were facing. So that all led into the idea of church is too old people oriented. Gotcha. So, okay. so I get to, I get to Liberty. I'm taking the theological classes, but I didn't want to do ministry. So I majored in sport management. I bargained with God and said, I'll work in a high school. I'll do these things, but I don't want to work in a church. And it wasn't until the summer after I graduated, when the girl I thought I was going to marry was about to dump me, that I finally stepped foot inside of a church again. And the church I had went, I went to, like, I I had a friend who had gone there occasionally, so he went with me, so I didn't have to go by myself. But it was nicknamed the Rock and Roll Church on the Hill. And for the first time ever, I walk in and people are wearing shorts, they're wearing flip-flops, the pastor's preaching in jeans, they're playing rock music. They're, they're using the same language. I like, I'm, you've heard my shows. I am against church language and all that that comes with it. So they were using real life language. And for the first time ever, I'm like, okay, church, this church isn't too old people oriented. So it was a, there's a journey there for about six months where I went through like a really bad depression and ended up transferring to seminary. Hated seminary at first. What was the depression about? (laughs) In the same weekend in 2008, I got dumped by the girl I thought I was going to marry. I lost my job and I started a grad school program that I hated. (laughs) Okay. So all all of that, and I'd say I'm running from Jesus. I'm running from what, what God wanted me to be doing. And so I just, I hit rock bottom. And yeah. that Christmas, I remember my, my grandmother telling me, she said, Jonathan, I'm worried about you. You're not smiling. And that was the point where I realized, oh crap, something might be wrong. And I had already decided to transfer into seminary at that point. I was doing it online. That first semester was about to transfer back on campus and I got the syllabus for my seminary evangelism class. And I hated my undergrad evangelism class. Absolutely hated it, the way they taught it. Like, So I wasn't looking forward to this class anyways. And then I get the syllabus and I see all the stuff and I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. I'm going to hate this so bad. But I remember the week before school started, I said a prayer and said, 
Jesus, I don't want to do this, but if this is what you have for me, I give you permission to change my mm. heart. And yeah. that's a really important moment of surrender, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize the strength in that and like the door that opened, but two weeks into school, when I'm loving that evangelism class, I realized something was different and I give Dr. Wheeler so much credit. He was became one of my favorite professors. I had him for three or four classes. He completely changed my view of evangelism and what it's like to share your faith. And could it have happened had I not said that prayer? Yeah, Jesus can use anything. But saying that mm -hmm. prayer is what got me on the trajectory of, oh, okay. And the, the crazy thing is it happened so fast that I started loving school and loving and loving the idea of ministry so much that I just wanted to get done. Like it went from wow. not wanting to go into ministry and running from seminary to I want to get done with seminary so I can get into ministry. And I was a grad wow. assistant for Liberty at the time for their athletic department. They offered me an extra year. I could have gone another year in seminary, had it completely paid for, worked for the athletic department doing something I loved, but I wanted to get out and get into ministry so much that I said no. And I got my basic master's degree and ran. Yeah. What was, was it an MDiv or what'd you get? No, I got a master's of arts in student okay. ministry. Had, oh, I, nice had I stayed another year, I would have bumped it up to a master of arts in religion and church planning, but I, I didn't want to do another year of school. I wanted to get out and actually get in the real world. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's the, uh, the hubris of the young, right? We want to get, you want to get the experience. And then like, now I'm like, I'd love to be in school now. <laughs> I'd love to go back. There's so many degrees I would get. If, if I could do it again, like what I would get now, yeah. I, get, I get ads occasionally of like something like we've got this new program. I'm like, Oh, that sounds like fun, but no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm still paying for the for undergrad. Right. So right. Right. Totally. Totally understand. Okay. So you were eager to get into ministry and that was like a, that was a real change for you. Like that was a kind of, like a 180 there. Um, well, during all of that time, so you mentioned the the one time when God spoke to you, but was there, and and I guess maybe the evangelism class, but was, were there anything, any other experiences that you had specifically with God that were kind of shaping you in that season? The day my girlfriend dumped me, I remember sitting in church that morning. I'd only gone a couple of times. And the pastor said the phrase, sometimes we're too emotionally invested in our own life to see what God's trying to do. Mm. And we are 15 years later and I can still quote that word for word. And I say yeah. that regularly. And that is a, that's a forming idea that when everything starts feeling heavy, when I can't figure it out, I go back to that idea. I'm so emotionally invested in my own life that I can't always see what God's trying to do. So I have to actively pursue God so I can figure mm. out what the heck he's trying to do. Instead, so, yeah, I'm pretty capable. I can do a lot of things on my own. I, I'm I'm very skilled in a bunch of different places. I'm pretty smart. I can do so much of this on my own, and so yeah. I get into that pattern of, well, I'm going to go do this because this is how God's made me to do. This is how I'm wired. He's given me these skills. He's given me these abilities, and sometimes I just get too close to it that I have to realize. No, I've got to step back and actually seek what he wants me to do instead of trying to just go and figure it out and do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's uh that is a huge issue. And I think that's part of a mature Christian faith to have that 
uh, constant communication with the Lord about where, where you're trying to go. There's an old uh, Francis Chan quote that came out about that same time. He, he may have wrote it in crazy love or something else, but he said he could build a bigger church than Jesus if he did it on his own. Yeah. He, he's a good enough speaker. He's a good enough teacher. He's a good enough marketer. He could build a church bigger than Jesus, but he doesn't want to do it if Jesus isn't in it. And that's kind of that idea of I could do all these things, but I've got to, I've got to go where God's leading me first or else I'm just going to bang my head up against a bunch of walls. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is really important because it's a good time to learn all that, you know, when you're, when you're young. So you leave Liberty and I'm guessing you go into ministry. What happens then? So I took a full-time internship in student ministry with a high school ministry in Tennessee and we had immediate success. I was there. There were 75 kids in the high school ministry when I started in July. By February, we hit over 200 on our weekly gathering. So we blew up. We were, I mean, it was incredible. And so much so that it was a one one to two year internship. It's one of those things where we're going to do it for a year, reevaluate, see if it's worth coming back for a second year. And they they hired me as the young adult intern as well. So I basically was charged with doing the high school ministry as the, basically the number two. Uh, if if you want to go traditional roles, it would have been the associate pastor, even though I had the title of intern, the role yeah. was associate or assistant high school pastor. And then they had me do the young, rebuild the young adult ministry as well. Six, that was supposed to be for my second year. Six months into that, our creative director leaves. And so they hired me as the creative director for the entire church. So now I am the number two in a blowing up high school ministry while also overseeing six weekend services across two venues and doing all the communications while getting married at the same time. Wow. That so, seems like maybe it was a stressful time. I worked 60 to 70 hours every single week uh, for, for the first half of 2012 while getting married. So that, that was insane. And then finished up the high school stuff. And then I, I got to move just into the creative and communications role. So I was, I was doing that and we were having success. Things were going well. And then executive pastor leaves. New executive pastor comes in. This is the summer of 13. And all this time, I kept going to my direct report telling him I'm drowning. We now have three venues in the church with seven services on the weekend. Plus, I'm doing all of the communications, the graphic design and all of that. So two full-time roles that I'm doing as one full-time person. And he goes to the new executive pastor, tells him, and executive pastor comes up to me one day and says, hey, Jonathan, just want to let you know I hired a communications director. I was so excited that I gave him a hug. <laughs> and that was premature. Come to find out, oh. I thought he was hiring a communications director to go under me for me to build a team up and I, I get to grow in my leadership and, and all that. He hired a communications director to go, to go above me. So oh, in dear. effect, it was a demotion. I, you can imagine how 27-year-old Jonathan took that. I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't take it well. And I torpedoed some relationships, and it wasn't good. Come to find out, the previous XP never wrote communications director in my job description. So the new XP thought that was just something that got thrown on me and that he was going to help me out by pulling in somebody to do that and for me to work under them. So he did not mean to demote me, but it was still a demotion. I stayed on for another year, year and a half from there before 
it, it just was untenable. Like the, the relationships were torpedoed. I didn't fit the direction of where the church was going. And so I was what we affectionately called coached off staff. I was not <laughs> fired, but they were changing yeah. my job description. They were changing my pay enough to where I just said, you know what, I'm not doing it. So I left end of 2014 to start my business. And the last eight years have been, I mean, that, that was the coming off church staff is the first time I feel like I ever went into a season of unlearning. Some people call it deconstruction now, but at the yeah. time I said, I was having to unlearn everything I thought I knew because I wanted to see if what I said, I believe match what I actually believed. So for, yeah. for a while, that, that's, that was church. We didn't go to church for a few months, took a while to get back in church. We bounced around from churches for a couple of years before we finally found one. And uh, that was not an easy time. Right. Okay. So that's really difficult when, when they hire over you, especially when they don't communicate. I mean, that's part of the, part of the issue. If you didn't have that expectation, that's, that's really tough. Cause one of the things I think people have, and I, I think you probably discussed this on your show uh, is your identity can get really wrapped up in who you are in ministry, right? As a, as a person, like you're serving God, you're serving, you know, you're serving the church. You were made for this. Yeah. This is really important, right? It's really sort of cosmically important. And then to have that kind of torpedoed, I think is a good way. Maybe you use that word, but kind of submarine. That's the word they use in the parent trap, submarine, right? Like uh, just sort of, sort of, sort of destroyed kind of through no fault of your own. And because of just sort of basic human things is really sort of disorienting, right? Is that, how did you, how did you feel about that and, and take us into that season? And maybe did you have questions for God or what was that? What was it like? When I left that staff, I questioned if I was even good at what I thought I was good at. And yeah. like, I thought I was doing a really good job and then that happened. And I thought I had really good ideas. I thought I approached things in a really smart, really new, not only innovative, but just uh, I was good at what I did. And for the first I want to say nine months after leaving staff, I thought it was a me thing. Mm. And then I went to a conference that September after I left, that was a church communications conference. And every speaker was saying the exact same things I had been saying. And all the people I met were doing or wanting to do the same things I was wanting to do. And that's where I realized that it was not a me thing. It was a fit thing. What mm. that church was looking for was not me. And it was not, that doesn't mean it was my problem. It just didn't fit what they were looking for. I'll fast forward a little bit to when we left Knoxville to move back to where we are now, I didn't want to leave town without, with the, with that situation hanging over my head. So I emailed the XP who was over all that and, and told him, I just wanted to get together, clear the air before I left town. I didn't want that weight. And one of the things he told me in that conversation when we got together was that I never would have worked out with where the staff was at the time. He told me I was too entrepreneurial and I wanted to run too fast for where he had to have the staff because even, and he even told me at the time he wasn't healthy and so mm. you can you, unhealthy leaders. We know what happens there. So what the staff needed to go through, they needed someone to just do the job. They didn't need an entrepreneurial person who's looking to figure out what comes next or how can we push the envelope? How can we do this? So when he told me that, 
that reinforced all the things that I, I felt about myself or I thought to be true about myself. I wish he would have said it five years earlier when I was going through all of it, but I don't even know if at the time he could have articulated it the way he did when we had yeah. lunch together years later. So it, it all worked out in the end, but it was a, it was a mess trying to unravel some of that in my brain and in my identity. And God, I thought you made me to do this because yeah. I was starting a business working with churches and I was starting to have some success there. And so I, I felt kind of like a fraud as well. Cause I'm helping these churches do these things while I just got basically fired for, yeah. for these same exact things. So it was a roller coaster of emotions and identity and all of that. Thankfully I've worked through it, but it wasn't fun. Well, what was, so what about your uh, relationship with the Lord? Like, did it make you question God at all? I don't know that I ever questioned God. I, at that point, I, my faith in who he is was strong enough that I never questioned the, who he was. I questioned what he was doing severely or what he was having me do a lot. Um, So it's that idea of, I know you are who you say you are, but I have no clue what you're trying to do right now. And I don't like what you're trying to do. So that, that took some wrestling because at, I mean, my wife and I, we were about to have our first kid and we're in a city that we moved to for this job. So we have no family there. All of our friends were related to the church job. And you know how that is when you leave a church job or you leave it, even to change churches, those friendships disappear. We like, that's a whole different conversation of why that happens. But so we're, we're now alone. And we're trying to figure this out and find a new church and build a business and figure out what parenting looks like and how to raise this kid and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's tough, right? So that feels like all of a sudden a season of isolation for you. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you're able to get a little bit of, um, closure to that eventually, uh, and you start your business. And so you, you, I guess maybe you told us the story, take us up to, well, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. So was that like for you, was that a dark night of the soul? And was it maybe God is taking some things out of you, right? Some that you had accepted about who you are and giving you some new things. What was, what, what did he take away and what did he give you? That's a great question. That's inspired by John of the Cross. I didn't really make it up. It's still it's still a great question. <laughs> so at the same time, all this crap was going down at the church. I remember our neighborhood was a circle, and I was walking the dog one night, and I was coming up the back half of our neighborhood, and I had this thought pop in my head. I was like, what would it look like to serve the global church instead of serving one church? Oh, wow. So... That came in my head like a week or two before the whole thing went down where they were going to change my job description again and take away some pay and all that, that ultimately led to me leaving. So as I went into building my business, I knew I wanted to serve churches and I wanted to serve ministries. And one of the things I got that has formed who I am today is I got to work with churches all around the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I built a website for a church. It's one of the largest churches in Singapore. I got to work with missionaries in Germany and Guatemala, and I worked with pastors in Australia and Canada. And even 
I'm from the Bible Belt. So even working with pastors from California and churches in Michigan and all across the country, I'm starting to see these different flavors of Christianity. And I'm getting yeah. exposed to things that are different than my super conservative evangelical Southern Christianity. Yep. So when you ask the question, what did I get from it? I got to see the plurality of Christianity and what it could be and how different that was from what I had experienced. And so that started opening my eyes to the idea of, you've heard me say this on TikTok, you've heard me say this on my show, Bible-believing Christians who are fo actively following Jesus can read the same book and come to different conclusions. Right. And if we agree on the main things, then I'm okay disagreeing on all the other stuff. And that has been a very formative idea that stuck with me even more today because of the experience I've had working with all these different churches. Like, I, there was a time last year where I was working with a progressive uh, Presbyterian church while also working for a very conservative Southern Baptist church at the same time to help yeah. them build a website and get their messaging in order. And so those are two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to faith. But what yeah. I've, I can tell you every single person I worked with on both of those projects love Jesus and are following him the best that they can or the best they know how. Right. And seeing that being exposed to that, when you come from the background I came from, it makes you realize that your experiences are not the global experience. And there are other ways to do this. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's one of the things. So you're, you're touching on something that I feel like I've learned from this show as well, right? Is so we're, we're coming up on 300, let's say 30 episodes or so. And uh, I've had the privilege of interviewing people from all regions of the United States, right? And around, and some places around the world and getting, um, getting that flavor and realizing that there is a different flavor to it. Like I can tell you there are distinctives about a, an evangelical in Chicago that you in the South wouldn't have, wouldn't have had. And then Florida is, a, is its whole own deal, right? Versus the, the Northeast world. and then, and, and the Northwest. Right. And so you're, yeah, you're saying like, this is the whole, you know, like it's all like that, but we have one thing in common. We have Jesus in common, right? Even if we have some of these other kind of flavors to our, to our, you know, spiritual stew as it were. Yeah. I mean, and the, I don't want to get too political on here, but the political differences are through the roof when you get yeah. into those difference. I remember I worked with a missionary group that was in Germany and they are, or were fairly conservative American Christians. And then they got to Germany and saw the way their socialized healthcare system worked to the, like this, the idea that, Hey, Eric, you have a sinus infection. Instead of having to go to the doctor to get a prescription, you can go to the pharmacy. The pharmacist will look at you and say, yeah, you got a sinus infection. Here's your medicine. And just how the, just the difference in that and how they see that as serving others and taking care of the, the poor, the sick, the, the needy. And their view of that has changed because of their perspective and their exposure to something different. Instead of where we're in America, it's all theory that you're fighting against because you've never seen it. Hearing them say that to me and knowing their conservative background opened an idea for me that, oh, maybe the things that I have learned growing up in 
super conservative areas in a super conservative college. Maybe I'm wrong on that, or maybe I'm open to a different perspective that comes from that. And them being okay with socialized medicine didn't make them a Satan follower. <laughs> right. And I, I, I say that jokingly, but to some people in the South, I know those two are the same thing. And it, it just showed me. And another example, I had a pastor tell me that he was in Australia at a church there. And he's standing next to these guys who are passionately worshiping Jesus during the service. And then he walks outside and they're using the F word as commas. Just <laughs> it's part of their, it's part of their conversation. And that made me realize that language is so fleeting and that yeah. what is considered acceptable is so cultural, not necessarily biblical. And to learn that so much of what I knew as the behavior modification versions of Christianity we have to get to the principles behind those as opposed to just yeah. taking the behavior modification versions of them. And that has led me to be more open-handed with people. It's allowed me to love people so much better because I'm not judging their, their behavior anymore. Right. I'm looking at who they are as a person, as opposed to just the sum of their behaviors. Yeah. Which I think Unfortunately, that's how we get taught to judge people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, certainly. I mean, you'll know them by natural. their fruit, Eric. You'll know. you'll know them by the fruit, man. And so, <laughs> but the fruit's all different. But the fruit, sometimes the fruit's bad and nobody wants to mention it. Like that's the problem. So, or it looks good uh, on the inside, but it's <laughs> rotten in the core. Right. Right. Oh, man. So bad. Uh, very, yeah, very interesting. So, that's, I'm reading Celebrities for Jesus right now. So, that's kind of, right. that's on my brain. Uh, very fascinating. I, I love that idea that we can actually uh, engaging with Christ followers around the world or of different stripes than us um, actually helps us grow. That's really good. Okay. So you started your business, you're diving into that. You're, you're learning a lot of stuff. Tell me about uh, what else have you, you know, as you're serving people, what are you noticing and how is that kind of shaping you also? There's a phrase I learned in seminary by a dinosaur of a professor named Elmer Towns who literally wrote the book on Sunday school in the seventies. <laughs> nice. And he said, methods are many principles are few methods may change, but principles never do. Yeah. And that is a phrase that has stuck with me since then. And it's this idea that our principles that we follow Jesus on, they're never going to change. That scripture is never going to change. It's going to be what it is. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. But the methods in which we live that out can change based on the culture and the people around us. The methods of me discussing Christianity with my mother-in-law is going to be different than the methods I discuss Christianity with people on my show or with you. Right. But the principles are all there. And those aren't going to change. And learning how to, you know, Paul writes, become all, all things to all people uh, for the sake of the gospel. And learning how to do that in a way that honors Jesus and is intellectually consistent is one of the things that has been hard, but has been fun to do. And I think that that's one of the things that gives me life in that I'm able to have conversation with skeptics 
and with people who have been hurt by the church. And one of the things that makes my shows different than other shows in this quote unquote deconstruction lane is that my whole goal is to point them to Jesus. I'm not going to be the Christian that doesn't acknowledge these things hurt or that these things happen. I'm going to be the Christian that says, you know what? We're human beings. We mess up. We do things that are not good. So let's take those experiences and learn from them and find Jesus through them. And so that that's kind of the realm. I've had Christians say that I'm being overly negative or that the things that we talk about or the the way that we talk about them shouldn't be happening amongst Christians because they might be negative in spirit. Well, sometimes we got to do that so that we can unlearn the stuff that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. And <laughs> learning how to do that is, is it's just been it's been something that's been very life-giving in moving forward. Yeah, I'm just imagining the same people critiquing Jesus for fashioning a whip and, uh, and, and turning over a few tables. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Okay. So, but that, not only, they, they would, they would critique him for calling people hypocrites and using the culture right. of the day to connect with people who don't know him yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So what are you learning from that? Cause I, I know, or what are you unlearning? Maybe I should ask you that question. Uh, for as you're going through unlearning youth group and unlearning church staff, and you're talking about these things, honestly, which I think is really great. I think that's actually the the principle. It's more honoring to God for us to be honest about our experience and to talk about it than I think it is to cover it up. So, what are you learning, and what do you what are you hoping that people will receive as they're listening to your show shows? I'm learning that a lot more people are open to the idea of Jesus than we think. Mm. They just have, they want nothing to do with the people who represent him. And I'm learning that because we have been so dogmatic on some issues in the church, we have run people away who would be interested in following Jesus because we have told them you have to believe this in this exact way or else you're doing it wrong. And, you know, the single biggest reason people leave the church after high school, students leave the church after high school is there's no room in the church for their doubts and their questions. Right. And in a culture that has access to whatever they want on their phones in an instant, I can research and look up, well, did the Bible actually say that? Or does it actually say that? Or I can even look into some of the questions about inerrancy and inspiration and authorship and those things. I can look those up in a split second and find out the answers. So to just cling to the idea that we have forever, this is what we do. We we're turning off so many people from the idea of Jesus. And I can't tell you for sure. Eric, did Paul write the pastoral epistles? I don't know. I think so, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it, it doesn't so, matter to me. <laughs> it doesn't. That's where I'm at. Right. Like I'm okay. Not knowing I'm okay right. with the idea that sometimes faith takes actual faith. And so for so long in the church, you had to be a hundred percent assured that Paul wrote those letters. 
or else you weren't doing Christianity right. You had to be sure of yeah, all these it, things. Like, did Noah actually exist or was that an allegorical story? Did creation happen in seven literal days? Right. I don't know the answers to these questions. I'm never going to know them until I get to heaven. And I am okay with the, with the not knowing because I know Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. What bothers me most with those is when we, ha- when we feel like we have to be a little bit unthinking in order to be biblical, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's my problem. I, I don't have any problem believing that God has used a natural process to bring uh, whatever human beings to you know, the world into creation, what, whatever, because he does that a lot. <laughs> like, I don't think that's, you know, okay. Uh, there's, there's, I, I don't think we have to believe that in order to still believe that in the supernatural, in him, in, you know, in Jesus. And that's where I get, I get a little hung up. That, that makes me a little bit, uh, a little bit nuts, but you're right. When people do that, it gives other people the impression that they're just not thinking they're, they're not, they're not, you know, con- contemplating it seriously. And I think that's actually a much bigger issue than, than perhaps we want to let on. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, what's, you know, I don't know. I think you did one season of unlearning church staff and then yep. you're, are you going to come back to it eventually? Eventually. Yeah. I mean, it, it was harder to do those episodes than I expected it to be just li- mm. sitting in those, but at the same time, there's this really interesting phenomenon that happened that, where I, I mean, you know, this, you're, you're a host. Sometimes to promote the show, you have to show the ugly stuff so that yeah. you can hook people in. Yeah. And there was this misconception of me and my view of the church and my view of Christianity that, that got out there that I know led to me not getting jobs to some clients, not hiring me because they saw some clips from some shows and thought I was doing something I'm not. And the job is what allows me to do the shows without the job. I don't sure. have the capacity to do the shows. So I've got to figure out how to position myself as someone who loves the church, but also is willing to talk about these things so that I don't lose, lose out on some of that business. So I'm working on figuring out how to frame and promote the show so that I can, because I get more feedback from that show than I do youth group, even mm-hmm. though the view, the listenership is probably a third. It's, just, it's interesting. It's because the, the emotional impact of that is so much deeper. So I, I'm hoping to bring it back this summer. I think it's just a matter of figuring out, like I got, I got more people who submitted their stories than I expected. So I got to go through and figure out like, how do I pick just eight stories to highlight this next season and get that going. So I'm thinking doing that over the summer and then maybe another one in the fall just do two a year instead of three or four, like I planned originally because yeah. it, it's such a heavy show. Well, I think even, um, I, for, first of all, I think giving an insight into what that's like for people. Cause I don't think most people know. I think most people think, Oh, you just, what, what do you do all day? You know, you're just running around having coffee with people or whatever. And it's so much work. You mentioned earlier, right. you're working seven or 80 hours. It's so much work. Uh, when my wife came off church staff, it was, um, and she's still dealing with some of that, but I'm going, it's nice to have you home. Right. It's mm-hmm. great. You know, like sometimes she was at the, up there. We were, we live a mile from our church. Uh, so sometimes she was up there seven days a week. Right. And just because it was easy, it was quick. Um, 
and I don't think people know that. I don't. I think people think, oh, well, your ministry, so it, it shouldn't matter. And I think that's an issue. Anyway, I really love what you're doing with it, and I think, yeah, maybe maybe you got to find a way to do it in a, that uh, that gives people the right impression of what you're trying to do. Right. I guess maybe, but you're you're a marketing guy, so you'll figure that out. Uh, anyway, I I think that's amazing. Um, Jonathan, thanks for sharing some of your story. I really do appreciate what you're all about. Uh, people can find you. You've got websites for all these things. Uh, JonathanCrone.com. I don't know. Can they find all of it there? Is that, yeah, every, is that everything you want to find out about me from shows to business to newsletters to all that you can find at JonathanCrone.com. That's probably the easiest. Perfect. We'll send people there. And then uh, is there anything you want to leave us with? If I can leave you with the idea that Jesus is worth following even when it doesn't make sense or and despite the people who represent him, then I think I'll be happy. If you can get that, like your questions aren't too big for Jesus. Your doubts aren't too big for Jesus. Like all those things, he can handle all of them. If he created the world by speaking things out, then I'm pretty sure he can handle your doubts and your questions. But he is who he says he is. And he's worth chasing after even when it's hard. And the other thing, I think the one thing that I would tell you, we talk about running after Jesus a lot. And I think it's good to run after Jesus, but you can't run all the time. That's a a pace that you're going to get exhausted. So there are going to be times in your life where you're going to slip to the back of the pack, where you're still walking in the same direction as Jesus, but you're not right up there next to him. And that's okay. And there will be times that you do that. And in those times, my encouragement to you is just keep walking forward. Don't stop. Don't sit on the bench. Don't walk a different direction. Even if you're walking slow, you're still going the same direction he is. That's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I love the language of with God, right? So Skyjitani is the book with. I love that because it doesn't matter what you're doing. Whatever season you're in, as long as you're doing it with the Lord, that's where you should be. I love it. Jonathan, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Awesome, Eric. Thanks so much.